Welcome to the Innovative Leader Podcast, featuring Christy Geiger, Executive Coach with Synergy Strategies, and David Phillips, Professor, Consultant, and Coach. All right, welcome to the Innovative Podcast. It is May 2020, and you are here with David Phillips and Christy Geiger. And we are here today to talk about the 4.0 leader and to support you in equipping and being inspired and transformed in your leadership. Um, It is tough. We're still in Mm. COVID-19. Leading today is not easy. Um, The 4.0 leader, we started that last week, and we wanted to dig in today a little bit around the topic of how does a 4.0 leader navigate planning and results without recessing to being a 2.0 leader? Sometimes as leaders, when we're really trying to get things done, we're trying to move things forward, we're under pressure, and there's a lot on the line, it can be really easy to downgrade to that 2.0 leader, that old-fashioned leader who kind of has the whip, who's very dictating and driving. And I think we can safely say, if you're listening to this, you don't want to be that kind of a leader. Um, But the struggle is real. We all have that. David, what's your thoughts about that? Maybe kicking into planning to start with, how does a 4.0 leader show up in a planning way? Well, so, you know, we can all get crazy sometimes and emotions do that to us and stress does that to us. So we we all have a little crazy in us, Um, no matter who we are. It's the, it's the, the, uh, it's the one to, um, uh, have fought through and understand some of that, that maybe, uh, don't go so far off the, uh, so far off the rails, um, to, to downgrade, uh, from that four Oh to the two Oh. Um, so, uh, when we, when we think about planning, um, generally a 4.0 leader is going to, to, to have, uh, more of a communal planning. So they're going to, they're going to bring their team in. They're going to, uh, work with them. They're going to to understand what's going on, um, uh, even culturally, but uh, in, in those people's schedules, in those people's lives, what's going on? You know, are we doing something during the summer where we're going to have uh, vacation time? Uh, those kinds of things. So planning um, becomes very communal, um, and so so it's uh, it's also project based. I think. Um, as, as we look at developing plans, uh, we, we often, we often think in terms of projects. This is, this is what I need to get done. Um, what's, what's on our plate. Let's take that, that and, and, uh, begin to, to map it out. Uh, I do a lot of project planning and a lot of project management, uh, in my role. And I mean, that's one of the things that, that I, I do because I know I'm, I'm working with, um, a whole other team. And so I look at, um, because I work for, with schools, uh, I have to build everything around their calendar. Um, because school starts at a certain time, school ends at a certain time. We have, we have, um, summer school to deal with. We have technology things to deal with. So there's a the big overarching thing. And so I tend to, um, I tend to think and plan according to the project that I'm working on. And, um, and so, so it's project based. It is, um, 
it, and it's people-based. So it's, it's built around the projects that are, that are going on. It's built around the, the people that you are working with and the people even who are on your team. And then it's also built around, uh, it's almost seasonal. So what's going on in this season of life? Uh, we're going to plan differently with COVID than we would uh, had, we, had we not had this pandemic. Mm-hmm. What a, yeah, I agree with that. And I think sometimes there's a struggle with leaders when they get above that and maybe like you were talking about in a season of change, but when they're looking at this big picture and they're looking at how does my company need to adapt? Or like we were talking about a couple weeks ago with the change theory Mm -hmm. and they're looking to innovate or they're looking to kind of take a left turn unexpectedly because they need to respond strategically with what's going on you know, COVID-19 as an example. Right. And sometimes it feels like, I think to a leader, it can feel like, well, my team doesn't know, or they don't have all the information, or I can't possibly share all this information. We're doing open book management. I'm very candid and transparent with them. But if my team knew where our margins were at, or if our team knew how close to the wire we were at, they would freak out. Like, where you feel like you have this information that you really hold as a business owner or a business leader, and you're trying to navigate the big picture, sometimes it seems like you do need to figure it all out. But we know that's really an anti of the 4.0 leader. But I think it's very challenging because we don't want to hit that 2.0 ditch of, you know, I just kind of get hijacked I slip into the, you know, wow, we have all this pressure. I have financial pressure. I have, I have to figure this out. And you just go inside to solve it all yourself. We don't want to fall there. No, but you know, I say, I'm going to push back a little bit on that in some ways, because in this sticks with me, uh, has stuck with me since, since college. So in college, I worked for Dairy Queen. I I was a cook for Dairy Queen. And I remember I was going so fast one day kind of early on in my tenure there. And I remember the owner coming up and saying to me, um, just remember haste makes waste. And just know that this is what we make for every burger. And I was like, oh, it was something that flipped in my head. What and flipped so I, in your head? I don't know. I was, start, I was like, I've got to be more careful about what I put on, how much I put on, because because that margin impacts my salary, it impacts the business, it impacts the the, the ability of the business to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it and if in a in a downturn or if things get slow, that that margin, what's what we have in the bank, could mean the difference between my job or not. Sure. So that owner was helping you to understand what does excellence look like, right? And helping you to kind of slow down and look at the bigger picture. So he was doing a great job mentoring you into that big picture. But that right there is a great example of exactly why I think it's very difficult in leadership to balance this because sometimes it feels, you know, like, so then let's say that Dairy Queen owner is like, 
what what is David going to be able to tell me? He's freaking making burgers too yeah. fast. How can he help me figure out what direction we're going? So sometimes, and it's not that any owner wants to put other people down, but I do think it's a challenge to figure out how do I include people in this collaborative decision making? Right, and, we, and yeah, and and you know the the impact of that was. Uh, probably a month or two later, he asked me to be a shift manager. So it became my job to then train other people. And so all of that's running in my head. So, so it, it, it just didn't impact me. It started to impact anybody that I came in contact with. And so I think that as a leader, I think you almost have to be open and honest about your motives be open and honest about the situation and in, and in many ways be open and honest uh, about uh, what's going on in your business. And sometimes you do need just to open the book. And when you, when you do open that book, you, and you bring people into that, you give them the ability to understand the business more, even the margins more. And they begin to create, uh, they can begin to think of ways that they can create um, more margin or create um, something better to, to boost margins or even to, um, to cut waste. So I think from a planning standpoint, especially in, 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 a, in a pandemic or in a challenging time or a crisis, I, I think it's actually important to even be more open with, with what's going on because it, it, if you're raising up and you're pre- preparing your leaders and you're coaching your leaders, and you're mentoring your leaders, then they see, A, you really care about them, and B, you're entrusting them with the heart and soul of the company in some ways, and you're empowering them to do things that can make a huge difference within that organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe awesome. I didn't even answer your question, but... <laughs> No, I think it's good. I think it comes back to, so really what I hear you saying is in this planning mode, the openness continues. And sometimes as leaders, we can be afraid to be open because in a way we're not really trusting people with the information or fearful if they have the information, how they might respond or react. And it creates this tendency for us to hold close, to take it and hold it close And I think the encouragement really with the 4.0 leader is to open and to to leave our hands out here and and be open. So open through communication, including people in the conversations, open and honest about what's going on, what's happening in the business. Um, And that's just in our culture. It's in the culture that we set that we're going to share. Yeah, the margins are tight. We've been closed for... Uh, four weeks now, and this is how this is impacting us. We were approved for the PPP. We weren't approved for the PPP. Right. This is how this affects us, whatever it is, sharing that information openly. Right. And then trusting, or actually I want to say the next piece that I think from what you were saying, it's really framing what you're looking for. And that it's not just, hey, what do you think? No, it's, okay, given these variables, we need to make some decisions about these things what is your thoughts on X, Y, and Z? And that there's a way that when you're framing it, that you're specific in what you're looking for and that you're not, um, it's not just this wide open, hey, Sander. 
<laughs> my son's here. He showed up. Oh, it's great. So, one sec. He's wanting me to open something, but I can't open it right now. No problem. <laughs> Sorry about that. Perfect. Shut no, the door, buddy. That's life. <laughs> um, yeah. No, awesome. So I think there's this piece about communicating openly and then framing what you're looking for that it's not open the results that come back. It's framing what we want back. Right. What are you looking for? And then trusting them because I love what you were saying earlier about rising up your team, mentoring them, preparing them, and that they're the heart and the soul of the company because they know what the company's values are. They know what the company's mission is. And so you can trust them to give feedback because if they've been mentored in that framework, okay, we know that we're about an experience. We know that we're about excellence. So, wow, we have to be closed. We can't do X, Y, Z. How can we still provide excellence to our customers with these challenges? What do you think? Right. Yeah. And I, I, I go back um, as well and I don't know where I read it. It's, it's been within the last six months, but there was a, a story about um, the container store and the great recession in 2008. Hmm. And, you know, at that point in time, nobody's running out to buy containers. Uh, people are selling their houses. They're not trying to, you know, to, to, to furnish their houses. You know, there's all, all kinds of things there's, that were going on. But the container store didn't close stores and they didn't lay off people. Uh, they, they shared with their employees exactly what was going on to the point that it empowered their, their employees to figure out ways to make the company money without having to, to fire or lay off people. Mm. And the solution was within the company itself. They came up with ideas and solutions to keep that company viable in the midst of, you know, a, a two year impact uh, to the core of their business. And, mm. and they were just open and honest about everything. And I think, I think we, we feel like, you know, it's the American mindset to, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and take, take the initiative and do things on our own. Uh But we have to understand that you can't run an organization by yourself. It does take a team and it take, it takes a team that knows it knows what's going on and is communicated with and that things are framed properly. Like you were saying. And I think, um, I think we have to to do that. Otherwise what we're going to do is we're going to ingest it all. We're going to try to come up with a solution. We're going to go do this. We're going to do that. We're going to sell this. We're going to, just, you know, whatever. And it, and the team is, is going to feel like you're not, a, a, they're not part of a team anymore. Mm. Mm-hmm. And why stay there if they're not going to be part of a team? You, you talk about a team framework and a team structure and a team organization and that, you know, they're important to you. So you demonstrate that importance by being open and honest with them. Yeah, great. I like that as I think it's so great to have these frameworks. So on this 2.0 ditch, if your team is saying, hey, I'm not part of the team, what's going on? Might be a good time to step back and go, am I including the team? Right. Am I communicating? Am I sharing what's going on? Is there an opportunity for me to be more open? I think on the other side, 
it's kind of interesting because I think people try to be 4.0 and they practice this open principle and they're open with no direction, no focus. Sure. And then your team might be saying, hey, you don't listen to my ideas. I just gave you a great idea and you haven't implemented anything I've said. Um, and they feel devalued because they're sharing, but you're not listening. But you're like, I can't implement all those ideas. Well, that might be an indicator that you've been open without this framework or open without a clear message of what is the problem we're trying to solve? What right. are we looking for? What is the filter of our values or our mission or our vision? What are we trying to call an identity or identity? Yes. We're, like we're, we're functioning outside of our identity. Right. Right. To remind people of that I identity. We even need that as leaders as yeah. we're making decisions. Like what is our identity? Where are we headed so that we stay the course? So I think that awareness is great. Yes. Exactly. Shift. So that's kind of a little um, bit. So let's oh, shift to, no, I was going to say, let's shift to, yeah. to the results aspect of things. Um, because, you know, uh, it, we, as we were talking, um, you know, we have these, we have these, this language that we use um, around accountability. And I brought up to you, you know, that word editability. And uh, to me, that that changes the conversation, and it changes the the um, the framework in which we function in a relationship. And so, um, if let me just talk about that for a minute, and uh, real quick, and um, then let's talk about how sometimes we we fall into that tr maintaining that 2.0 language. So, mm -hmm. so an editor always starts where you are. If you think of an editor of a book, they take a manuscript, they start where you are, and they they take you. The goal is to take you to where you should be. And so you finish the manuscript, you the editor bleeds it up, you go back, you revise the manuscript, and the editor starts over almost as if he had never read it before. And he starts marking it up again. And you go through this process over and over again in, in editing a book. Um and and the 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 editor is is more of a coach. He's not keeping a checklist of everything you do wrong every time you do it. Mm -hmm. And for me, I love that. I just love that image because it. When I think of leadership, I think of trying to be an editor because it it places me in a in a coaching relationship as opposed to someone who's just. Uh, checking boxes and making sure you're doing everything you're supposed to do. Or if you're not doing it, I'm making a list of everything you've done wrong. And we find ourselves using accountability from a language standpoint, but I just, there, personally, I think it has negative connotations. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about that some. Yeah, I agree. I think with results, sometimes it really results as ultimately what are we going for? And a 2.0 perspective can at times, and I've, I've had a lot of leaders who come and say, I really struggle with accountability. I don't like it. And so they don't hold their people accountable. And one of my favorite words in coaching is squishy. And I use the word because 
I, my profile, my personality does not like ambiguity. And if there is ambiguity present, I'm like, where is the ambiguity present? Because we need to make this clear. Because the reality is, if there's not clarity, and there's ambiguity, it leaves a lot, you know, it's kind of like, great, let's do that by next month. Who's doing what by when? And how do we know? I guarantee you that task will not be done next month because next month we get to the meeting and you say, Hey, who got X, Y, Z done? And I, well, I didn't think I, I was doing it. I thought Bob was doing it. Well, I thought Jan was doing it. Well, I thought whatever, right? Like right. ambiguity is the friend of getting nothing done. Yes. So if you want to get things done, you have to sniff out ambiguity. But so then when people don't hold people accountable, that is, and I agree with you. Accountability could possibly be a 2.0 word. Um, deadline, box checking, shaming, hand slapping. Nobody wants to be that kind of a leader. Right. So what does that really look like? I like to call it designed agreements. And to your point yeah. with the edibility where you're asking those questions and you're collaborating to seek a shared vision of what does the result look like? And to me, in a designed agreement, we're sitting down together saying, what is the result that we desire? What does success look like? When do we need to have that done by? And we get to have a conversation so that it's not just mandated, dictated, but you might say, well, I I think that I can get that done by next Friday. And I could say, okay, great. Well, if you're going to get that done by next Friday, does that give you enough time to do this, this, and this? And you might say, oh, well, I thought I just had to do this. You want me to do this and that too? And I would go, oh, yeah, I thought all three of those is part of it. And you might say, okay, well, I think that will take me two weeks then. Okay, great. So we can do these three things. You're going to go ahead and lead those up. And you feel like you can get that done in two weeks by whatever, May 15th. And then you might go, yep. And then I might say designed agreement, just flushing it out completely. I might go, would it help for us to have a check-in? Maybe next Friday we could check in and see how that's looking. And you go, sure, I totally wouldn't mind that. And I go, great, because now we have a designed agreement where I'm not, I'm not up your butt to be like, hey, Dave, got that done? Yeah. Where is that at? I'm not harassing you. I'm not worrying about it. I've got Friday on my calendar for a check-in. I've got Friday the 15th on my calendar that I can reasonably expect that you are doing this by that time. And we'll know because we have this meeting set up. Right. To me, that's designed accountability. Yeah, no, I, I and I, I really do like that uh, as well. It, it does take that ambiguity out of it. And it, and it, and it places, um, uh, it, 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 it gives, um, it, it gives the people that you're leading the, the opportunity to, to, to be a part of that planning cycle, be a part of that results cycle, um, and like you said, without feeling like they're shame because they've made, um, the decision, but it also gives them timeline and we all need timelines, yeah. uh, you know, because there is, there is, there are things that have to be done. And if you want that in, and I tell, I tell my school dis- districts this all the time. If, if you get us this data by this date, we can have you up and ready to go the first day of school without any question, without any issue. Um, and, and I will commit to doing that. But if you don't, that's going to put you behind. And there's, that's not going to be on me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I talk with sales reps, I, I'm, and, and I have conversations with them about, Hey, this district is doing this and that, you know, and, and I will always say this person is missing their deadlines. This person is hitting their deadlines, their, their timeline. And, and I think when you give people a timeline and you spread it out, uh, you know, goal setting is, you know, I'm going to have this done by this date. Uh, I'm going to achieve this by, by this date. Um, I, I think it gives you, it, 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 if you, if you don't, and this is what I fight against about being so detailed, like some people are OCD about, about the details and, and that's just, that's just not me. But if I have, I know I need to have X, Y, and Z done by you know June, July, and August, then I'll mm-hmm. do that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I think, and I think this is important to understand in the planning and in the results and in the, the accountability or however, how we want to use that word, uh, the designed um, uh, agreement mm-hmm. is you have to understand the personality of the person you're working with. Mm-hmm. Because if you try to force an incredible amount of detail in it, in building a timeline on somebody who, who is, that's just not who they are, then they're going to push back on that. Well, I think what you might be speaking to is another misconception of accountability. And to me, in a designed agreement, we're talking about what we're agreeing to, not how you're going to do it. Right. And sometimes people get really into the weeds around, okay, how are you doing that? Well, tell me what books are you looking at? And well, are you writing that in 10 point font times New Roman (laughs) or what font are you going to use? you know, just to be sarcastic, but like sometimes we want to get really into the weeds because there's this leader piece of us that wants to control. And we really have this vision for how we want it to look. And we have to do a little self inventory to balance. Um, If I have a vision, like you might say, um, I really imagine this being a piece that we can put on our website. So I'd like it to look really presentable and, and pretty, 2020 marketing savvy, a a sharp piece. How do you think a 2020 savvy piece looks? Okay, great. Now let's talk about that. So now you are, because I think what you were talking about with the timeline is it empowers others when there's a timeline, it empowers others to make choices and decisions. It motivates others to have their control in order to plan how and and what they're going to do when they're going to do it to accomplish it. So now that's more motivating because I have autonomy and it's also really clear communication versus when we get so squishy about results or accountability or deadlines. And again, those may be old words. So we're talking about design agreements, editability timelines. It creates that framework so that people can be successful. And if the framework is missing, we can't be successful. Right. Yeah. One of the, you know, Daniel Pink wrote a book years ago called drive Mm, and, mm -hmm. um, and it was on motivation. And, you know, one of the things that he says is that one of the primary drivers of motivation is autonomy. So when you give people the ability to kind of set their schedule and get it done, um, you know, and, and I've mentioned before, I think I've worked in businesses like right now, my, for me, it's get the job done. 
but I've also worked in, in situations where it is, you got to be here for, for eight hours, you know, from this point, from this time to this time and give me the, get it done any day of the week. Because if I need to go to the doctor, if I need to go pick up my son, if I need to do X, Y, and Z, I can, I can do it and feel like I have the power to do it. And yet, if I get it done early, then I also know I don't have to sit here for three hours just sitting around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, so it's, it's incredibly empowering. And, and, and it gives me the freedom to create and, and do things uh, the way I would do them and to, to build on that. And then I take ownership of that. And um, uh, I, just, I just think that that is uh, an incredibly healthy way to lead. Yeah, that's great. Real quick, what would that 4.0 ditch? So the 2.0 is two micromanaging, box checking, shaming, dictating, telling, you know, you don't have a brain. I'm going to tell you how you need to do this um, to be more obvious on the 2.0 ditch. That 4.0 ditch where you're off the road and it's too much, kind of like we talked about with planning, the 4.0 ditch is um, being open but no direction, how could you take editability or design agreement too far and get yourself in trouble? Um, just ignoring the edits. That's one. Um, what does that mean? So people give you suggestions. Your team even gives you suggestions we need to we need to change this. We need to change this date. We need to 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 pull this back from the project because, and you just ignore them, uh, or you don't even set an identity. You don't even set, you just let it go willy nilly and let you go completely hands off. And that's that's one of the things that that um, I sometimes struggle with is I I can go that way. I can go to the point where I'm just like, you said you're going to do it. Fine. I'm going to go over here. I'm not going to worry about it. I don't even think about it. And sometimes it just doesn't get done. And sometimes it's because I haven't coached that person to in, 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 in how to do things and developing things. Sometimes, um, sometimes I hired the wrong person, you know, so there are all these things that you have to stay involved you have to check in and you have to lead. If you don't, somebody else will or nobody else will do anything. Um, and so you can go from, you know, on one side is extreme micromanaging and then the other side is extreme m- m- macromanaging. You don't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And I think sometimes it is a illusion that we can think, oh, I'm a great manager. I, I have really empowered my people. You know, the hot topic today is to empower people. And yeah. boy, I empower my people. I am out of their business. Um, okay, yes, agree. Too much macro managing can also be a problem. Um, Marcus Buckingham talks about when he worked for Gallup and they had done tons and tons of interviews and research around high-performing teams, low-performing teams and high-performing teams. And one of the number one differences was that leader who would come in and say, what are you working on? How can I help? What are you working on? How can I help? And it goes back to that point where you said you're checking in, you're coaching, you're saying it's just that check-in. It's a check-in of, hey, where are you at? How are you doing? How can I help? 
that is not micromanaging. Yeah. And if somebody gets angry about that, there's something else going on. Maybe the designed agreement is off. Maybe you're breathing down their neck and telling them how to do their job. But checking in is good leadership. Being present and supporting your team, that's good 4.0 leadership. Two yep. hands off is a ditch. Two hands on is a ditch. Yep. Yeah. And Tom Peters, um, he's one of my favorite Twitter. I follow him on Twitter and he's one of my favorites. But he always talks about management by walking around. Mm-hmm. That, the, that the leader needs to be walking around and he needs to be present and he needs to be asking questions. Not in, a, in any way being a micromanager or being a jerk, but just walking around, seeing what's going on, checking in, interacting with the people, building, not only that does that build relationships, but it gives them a chance to talk about what they're doing and it gives you a chance to coach them and say, uh, this is uh, this is amazing. Can do you think we could have this done by by you know June fifth? Do you think you know what's what's the timeline? What's in your head about how long we can get this done? We can get this to market and do all of that. And it, like, it's called management by walking around. And the and acronyms actually are M B W A. And he started typing. He, he was did that on Twitter one time, and I had to Google it to figure out what it was. Um, <laughs> Because I, I hadn't, I just hadn't seen the anachronism. I'd heard the term, but we, we that's just presence. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a presence there. That's a really great example of what presence means. I think that can also be a confusing thing because there was the walking around, and remember the four corners and two point leadership, or maybe yeah. that was maybe that was really the ebb of a 3.0 leadership where we check the four corners and we check in with people. But I love how this really gives framework to the purpose and why you're walking around. You are building a relationship. You are being present. You are asking questions, not to micromanage, but to, to understand and connect with your people and to support your people and to mentor them as is needed. So that's great. All right. Well, wrapping up, we're going to be at the end of our time today. We've talked about planning and results for that 4.0 leader with two ditches. Any closing thoughts? No, I just, you know, I think it all comes back to this team concept. I think 4.0 is huge. Is, is, there's a, a big aspect of teams. There's collaboration. Work together uh, and, and don't try to do everything yourself. Um, I had, a, I had a friend who worked for American Airlines and uh, this is years ago. And uh, he said that um, the CEO would, would take him around and walk around uh, the, the office and things like that. And he told him, if you're di- working more than eight hours a day, you're doing too much. That you have to, you have to build a team and let them help you. And, and I, you know, my biggest frustration in, with so many leaders is they, they try to hoard it. They try to hoard information. They try to hoard motives. They, they try to do it all and they try to take all their credit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in this day and age, we need to be a team. We need to plan as a team. We need to results. We need to look for results as a team. We need to, to think about being a coach to everybody. And we need to have that presence. Yeah, I like that. I think that today it, really begins and becomes unacceptable to hoard information and to not trust your team. I think that's the rise of followership and that whole concept that 
that no leader is a leader without your followers. And it's not that the ultimate goal is to be a leader. Some people are born to be followers, but followers are leaders as they're following and doing their role in the team. Um, Just because you're a hand doesn't mean that you're secondary to the heart or the head. And that's really this big kingpin. And I think there's really a shift in the 2.0 is the pinnacle ultimate um, divine place of power and authority. And in 4.0 leadership, that is just not true. There is not this, you are not better than others. There is an equality that happens and we have different roles and different purposes because you have to understand your role. Um, And it's not just about power and authority. The, The other ditch that I wanted to mention that I thought when you were talking earlier that I think leaders can do that that can be a problem is to abandon the agreements. And I think that also comes from when a leader is out here and they're looking, but they're not in sync with their team. They haven't been doing the, the walk around or that presence and they have an idea or something comes to them, which is important. We need to acknowledge those. But if you just suddenly in a lurch abandon the agreement and go, oh, I have this dynamic 4.0 team. You guys need to adapt and adjust with me. I would put that more in a bucket of reacting rather than adjusting. And really that leader not respecting their team because you have to move together. And so abandoning agreements can be a way that leaders can sabotage themselves too. Um, And that's not because the team is shackling you, but it's a mutual respect and collaboration of working together. Right. Because what you're going to do is if you, if you do that enough, then you're going to turn around and you're not going to have a team to follow you. Yes. Which is another great checkpoint for leaders. Here's my team. Are people following? If not, why? Yeah. I had my, so my doctoral mentor, and this is one last story and we'll wrap up, but my doctoral mentor, the first day he walked into our, our cohort, um, and this guy has written 70 books and been doing his, his, his role for 40 years. And he said, um, you are my colleagues. You are, you are not my students. You are my colleagues. And every time we met, if, if he was in my area and I would go and meet him, or or hang out with him because he traveled a lot. He would introduce me to the people that he was with as this is my colleague. So here's a man with a PhD and I'm working on a doctorate, but he refers to me as a colleague. He said, we're all in this together, all trying to learn and we're all trying to grow and develop. And and to me, that's the mindset that we need to have in a, in a, as a four O leader building with a team, you are my colleague. I am not your boss. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Love it. Great place to end. Awesome. Listen, uh, don't forget to subscribe uh, on YouTube or at our website, innovativeleader.co. And I hope you have a great weekend. And uh, good to see you again, Christy. Yeah, good to see you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And have fun with your planning and getting results. Uh, That's right. Take care. (laughs) All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.